Well, over the next couple of Sundays, next three Sundays actually, we're going to be addressing your hard questions that you've submitted over this, over this past uh, couple of weeks. And we're going to dive into God's Word and let it, let it seek to answer these, these questions. Now, dude, I, I, really, I really appreciate all of you that have submitted questions. They were, they were fantastic questions, great questions. You've already made me dig a little bit, and we'll be doing that over the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to address, my goal is to address all of your questions. And if you have not submitted a question, it's not too late. Some question that you, you might have about, about the church, about Christianity, about, about life, about anything, you can grab one of those connect cards in the P-Rack and just write it, write it out there and drop it in the chest in the, in the way back. And I, I intend to address all of the questions. Won't be able to do it in these next three sermons, but we'll, we'll hit them maybe before the sermon. I'll address as many questions as I can in a service, uh, in a sermon, or collect them based on theme. And then throughout the week, uh, I'll hit some of those questions on our social media site. So I want to encourage you over the next three weeks, visit our Facebook, Instagram sites, and uh, you'll see some answers to these, to these questions as well. Well, this morning, I want us to begin with a question that's been submitted. It's, it's actually been around for, for quite a few years, actually for quite a few centuries. And it's this, can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot move. Now think about it. Can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot move it? Hmm. Try to stump me, didn't you? Well, here's the, here's the challenge to this question. If you say yes, if you say yes, God can create a rock so heavy that he can't move it, then you're saying that God, there's something that God can't do, right? He it's, he can't move that rock. And so his power, he's, not, he's no longer all-powerful. That rock is more powerful than he is, and thus he, he ceases to be the all-powerful God, ceases to be God. But on the other side, if you say no to the question that God can't create a rock so heavy that he can't move, then there's something that God can't do. Now, that means that if, God, if there's something that God can't do, then he's limited. He's He's not fully God. He's, he's just maybe like us. There's things that we can't do. He has limitations. Again, he's no longer the all-powerful God. Well, the simple answer to this question is no. Can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift? The answer is no. And here's why. It's not because God is limited. It's not because he's limited, but because God doesn't do, he cannot do, what goes against his very character and nature and what he's designed. In other words, God, God cannot make a square circle. He cannot make two plus two equal five. He cannot make an inch a mile. He cannot make a unstoppable, he can't stop an unstoppable object. Now, here's why. He, those questions are really, they're self-contradictory. Just like he cannot create a rock so heavy that he can't lift. They are self-contradictory, and they go against who he is. They go against his nature. They go against his character. They go against um, everything that he's established. 
It's in the same way God, he cannot lie. He cannot lie. Why? Because God is true. God cannot cease to exist because he's the self-existing one. He's eternal in nature. He, he cannot deceive us because that's not in his nature to do so. He will always be God, perfect in every way. And friends, really, this is good news because it means that God is hes always trustworthy. He's always faithful. He's always good, and he's always sure. So that simple question, can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot move, is actually a great question. The answer is no, because God is God, and there's no one like him. He is sure, he is faithful, and he is, he is good, and he will always be that way. You're like, whoa, that's something to think on, huh? Well, this morning we're going to address, we're actually going to address six of your questions, and they all fit within the theme of salvation, salvation. Now, we've been singing about salvation this morning. You've seen that word saved, and there's all kinds of words. If you're new to Christianity, you're like, what? or maybe you're, maybe you're still exploring Christianity, things like saved, and I'm being, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, and blood, and redemption, and being rescued, and ransomed, all these words that we just sang about, grace, like what is all of this stuff? Well, all has to do with salvation, and th- this is what we're going to address uh, this morning. So here's the, here's the I think the question that really is the umbrella to all of the questions that we're going to address this morning is this. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? That's just a simple but great, great question. And as we answer this question and the other five, what we're going to do, I want us to anchor uh, ourselves in a, in a text out of Titus and, uh, and let it speak to our question. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Titus. Titus is in the New Testament, always almost toward the back. It's after, if you start seeing books like 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2, you're getting close. Keep going. If you get to Hebrews and James, you've gone too far. And if you get to the maps, it's definitely not back there. Right. If you're using one of those black, um, if you're using one of those black Bibles, it's on page 998. You can get there before everybody else. Titus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. You're going to see some beautiful words in here, maybe some words you don't fully understand, but they all point to Jesus and they point to his saving, rescuing work in our lives. Titus 3, beginning of verse 4. But when the, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And again, I think as as we just read that, you saw some big words, some beautiful words, 
And sometimes we use these, we just kind of fly over them. Maybe we don't fully understand them. We sing about them, we, but we don't really grasp or take hold of the, the depth of what they are. It's like saved in our passage, righteous, mercy, regeneration, justified, grace. What are these things? I think sometimes too, and I know as a pastor, I'm guilty of this, how we use these. Sometimes I don't, I just, again, I fly through as I'm, as I'm sharing with you and, I, and I'm like, hey, do did I, did I even explain what that word is? And so what we want to do, I want us, I want us to get this because this is super, super important. Let's walk again through, these, um, through this passage, kind of verse by verse, and then we're going to f- jump into some more of these questions. Verse 4 says that God's goodness and loving kindness came into our lives. His goodness and loving kindness, His goodness, His benevolence, and his compassionate love, that loving kindness, it met a need in our, in our lives. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that need in a minute. Verse 5 says that he saved us. Now, this word saved simply means delivered or rescued. We've been rescued. We've been delivered. You know, like delivered from what? Again, we're going to get there. Hang on. This passage goes on to say, that this salvation or this deliverance wasn't based upon our good works, anything that we brought to the table, our good good looks, our good actions. It wasn't based upon any of that, but rather upon, the Scripture says, God's mercy. I think of it, last year, WNBA uh, basketball star um, Brittany Griner was... So on her way to um, Russia to play basketball, she was arrested, sentenced, tried and sentenced to nine years in prison for possessing um, hash oil, which is a, a form of cannabis. It's illegal in Russia. She had no ability on her own to, to be released. Uh, she had lawyers, and but they, they, they could not get her out. And, and nothing that she could say, well, hey, I'm a... I'm a star. They need me on the team back in the U.S. You know, I'm, I play basketball and I was here, you know, to, and, and none of that, none of that made any difference. Her goodness, her height, her ability to play, none of it mattered. Actually, she needed outside intervention. And this is where the, the goodness, the compassion, the, the mercy of the United States stepped in. They intervened. And in a sense, through negotiations, the U.S., I think, rescued her, saved her, brought her out of that, of that penalty of, 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 um, you know, of her guilt and brought her out of that awful situation that she was, that she was in. Now, it's not exactly the same, but we, every one of us, are in a very similar situation. We're in an awful situation, but it but it's much worse because it's, it's of a spiritual nature. And we, just like Brittany, we can't rescue ourselves. We can't bring anything to the table to get out of the, the mess that we're in. But God stepped in. This passage says God stepped in. When the goodness and kindness of God appeared, he stepped into our need and he rescued us. He saved us. And the means of our 
deliverance was the this passage says there in the end of verse five the washing of regeneration. It simply means that we were we were given a a new beginning, a new start, a, a new birth. Uh, that that old life was washed clean and made new by the power of the Spirit. It's like um. You've seen it, you know, like a little ugly caterpillar. You know, it goes up and climbs and then makes a, was it a chrysalis? I can't even hardly remember. The, yeah, all right, makes, makes that thing. And then what happens? Something, a metamorphosis occurs. It's completely transformed. And what comes out is it's no longer a caterpillar. It's something brand new. It's been made new. It's a beautiful butterfly. And that's what regeneration this word regeneration, this washing, it's like God takes us and there's a metamorphosis, a transformation that takes place. When we are saved, when we are delivered, we are made brand new. That old person, that old self is washed away. We are made, we are made a, new, a new person. Verse, five, verse 6 says that this salvation was lavishly given to us through Jesus Christ. We just got through with Easter, and, and on Good Friday, we, we looked at the crucifixion. That was Jesus paid the price. We sang about it, the price that we couldn't pay. Here we were in, in the prison of our sin. We couldn't pay our debt. And Jesus went to a cross, lived the perfect life, went to a cross, and paid the penalty for us to set us free. He paid the ransom. And, and not only that, but when we were set free, our offense, our offense was, was wiped, wiped away, cleared, expunged. You see that word, uh, verse 7, it says justified. That's what justified means. It means that guilt, that, that sentence of guilt was, was, it's no longer to be found. It's not there anymore. It's been taken away. It's, it's gone. It's like the judge looks at us. And he says, I don't see that the, for you, it's you're, you're, you're free to go. You're, you're not guilty. And he brings the gavel down and he makes it permanent. And you, you're set free because the penalty was paid by someone else. Justified. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. But there's more. This passage says that not only are we set free, but we're given a reward, we become an heir, we, be, we, become, we get an inheritance from God that includes the gift of, of eternal life. Spending the rest of our days on this earth in the joy of knowing God. And then it doesn't end here. We get to spend it throughout all of eternity. Restored relationship with God. What does it mean to be saved? Well, to be saved is to be rescued from our desperate situation caused by sin through the life and the death and resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and made active by the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience abundant life today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, and throughout all of eternity. Saved, delivered, restored, rescued. Let's look at another question. Why is sin a thing? This is a great, great question. Why is sin a thing and why do people 
still die after the Lord saves them? Hmm, that's a great question. You know, sin is the, is the reason that we needed to be saved or delivered. Sin is something that we inherited. It's in our nature. We got it from Adam and Eve and that very first sin in the, guard, in the garden when, we, when they disobeyed God. In Romans 5.12 it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all of us because all have sinned. Just like, think about this, just like birds fly, it's in their nature, just like dogs bark, and just like pigs stink, sinners sin. It's what, it's what we do. Uh, we, it's, in our, it's in our nature. We, are, we sin because we are sinners, and it's not the other way around. We're not, we're not sinners because we sin. It's, we're already sinners, and we sin because of it. Think about it, parents. I have three kids. I didn't have to teach my kids how to disobey. How to, I mean, they, they, came, they came about it natural. Now, maybe your kids weren't like our kids, but my mom tells me I, was, I came by it natural as well. It's in them. It's in us. We're selfish. We're prideful. All of that stuff, it wages war in us. It runs through our veins. We are all sinners by nature, and that sin has consequences. First, it severs our relationship with God. Remember, we sang about that even earlier. There's this chasm that's been created because of sin. In Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. It's, our relationship is broken with God. But not only that, but not only that, we have a, a penalty a curse, a, a price because of our sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death, it's a spiritual death. So sin is serious. It's way worse than a nine-year prison sentence to be served in a Russian penal colony. It's spiritual death and separation from God for all of eternity in a real place that the Bible calls hell. Now, when we were saved through Jesus Christ, like our passage in Titus says, the penalty of sin had been paid for. It had been erased. But until the, the second return, when Jesus comes to, to take his church home, to take his followers home, we experience, we're, we're, we're still subject to the consequences of sin. There's still disease in, in the world, and we still get sick. There, we still experience pain. We experience suffering, and we experience death. It's part, of, it's part of living in this world. So why is sin a thing? What's in our nature? And why do people still die if the Lord saves them? Well, it's because we're, we're not completely saved. That day will come. And we, we do die. Christians die physically. But then when we open our eyes and take our first breath, it's in heaven for eternity. Here's another great question. If God wants us all to go to heaven, then why does he give us the opportunity to go to hell? Think about that one. 
this is a little bit of this is this is a this is a little bit of a challenging question. If God wants us all to go to heaven, then why does He give us the opportunity to go to hell? Well, the Bible says that God wishes that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's Second Peter uh, three nine, the last part. So then, why did why did a good God even create hell? If he wants everyone to go to heaven, why does he even create a hell and give us the opportunity to go there? Well, think about this. God is both, he is both loving, he's perfect love, and at the same time, he's perfectly just. He is both loving and he is both, both loving and just. To not punish wrongdoing would in a sense, would not be loving. To let a guilty person go unpunished that had committed a a heinous crime would be unjust and unloving, right? If somebody came in and just, you know, you know, murdered, you know, a a mass murder, and the judge comes in and says, well, you know, in love, you're good to go. Just, Just go live your life. Just don't do it again. That would, and we, would, we would cry out, that's not right. That's not just. It, justice must be served. And we disciplined our kids, you know, when they did wrong. We wanted, and we did it out of love, right? When they, we wanted to correct them. Love and justice actually kiss. They meet together. The Bible says that God created hell for, not for us, not for people, but for Satan and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. It's a place of eternal separation and penalty, as I mentioned earlier. So as sinners who have disobeyed and, and turned from God, rebelled against God, his designs, God, God, because he is just and because he is loving, he has to punish sin. Now, good, God could have... Um, he could have made us puppets. He could have made us robots where we had no will at all and could, could not sin. What kind of relationship would that be? We would never, also, we would never see and know and experience his, his love, his justice, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. We would never know those things. Listen to this passage, Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were sin, we were sinners and deserved death, when we were dead in our trespasses, our sin, God made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. He made us, He transformed us. That regeneration. He made us new with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Again, not that we brought anything to the table. It's by grace that we've been saved. And we've been raised up with him. And we were seated. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 7, catch this. So that in the coming ages, throughout all of eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. This passage is saying that why did Jesus, why did he save us? To put on beautiful display 
his immeasurable riches of his grace to show us and, to, and for all of eternity, to, for, for, for it to illuminate the heavens, the glory of his grace, his kindness, so that we, we will fall down and worship him and, and, and bask in awe of who he is. That's why he saved us. Because God is loving and just, he created a, a hell for Satan and his minions. And as sinners, as sinners by nature and by choice, we deserve hell. We deserve, we have, we have, God doesn't choose to send us there. We've chosen it. We've disobeyed. We've turned our back on God. But by grace, by his grace and mercy and love and justice, his justice was placed upon Jesus and his mercy and grace were given to us. He saved us in order to illuminate the immeasurable, boundless riches of his grace. I mean, we are going to spend all of eternity basking in the wonder and the joy of his grace towards us, undeserved sinners. Here's another question, and this is one I really want us to camp on. Sometimes I don't feel saved. How do I know? I don't feel like a new creation. Now, what I love about this question or these questions here is I believe it hits every one of us at some point in our life. Every one of us. It speaks of our times of uncertainty. It speaks of our times of, of doubting. Now, maybe there's some of you here today that you've, maybe you've never doubted your salvation. You've always felt like, you've just always felt like a, a newborn creation. Well, I want to invite you to pray for your pastor and for all the other of us that kind of struggle with this from time to time. Why don't I feel saved? Why do I doubt? Why, how do I know? How do I know for sure that I'm saved? It's important to know, first of all, that the enemy, Satan, the enemy of God, is also now our enemy. And he is, he is ruthless. He's a liar. He's a deceiver, hell-bent to still kill and destroy us. He is, he goes around like a lion that's on the prowl, roaring, seeking whom he may devour, the scripture says. His favorite weapons are guilt, deceit, despair, and doubt. And he uses them well. Ephesians 6, 11 tells us to to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, to stand firm against these things. And the best way that we do this is, I think, is to be saturated in the truth of, of God's word, to be saturated in truth. You and I need one another. We need to, to gather regularly and to be under the teaching of God's word. I mean, you're here today, and I'm so, I'm so encouraged with that. I mean, you're, you're here. Maybe, maybe some of you are here listening online and uh, we need to, to hear truth 
because our enemy is going after us. He's, he's coming at us with lies, and he wants to make us doubt. He wants to lead us into despair. He wants to uh, dampen hope, hope in the midst of our struggles, our trials, our sorrows, our pain. This is why, as a church, we have our Connect Track here to help you, help, help us all get, get connected, to get connected to Christ, get connected to a community, a, a group of, of fellow believers walking this road and linking arms and holding each other up in this and to, to be a part of, to get connected with a, a great cause where we can have purpose. It's why, again, why gathering for worship is so important. It's why we continually encourage you to get plugged into a life group and to, to serve on, on any of our serve teams. We have plenty of them. You heard Susan share. We have, we have great ways to serve our kids, and it is so fulfilling. We have, we have um, opportunities simply to, to serve helping our, our host team get coffee ready. Anybody drink coffee this morning? Yeah. We, I mean, we have got great coffee out there. We grind it, we have, and we, we'll teach you how to do that. And, man, it is, it's awesome. And you can just say, man, you can grab one of those cards and just say, hey, serve team. In fact, over, just, I'd encourage you to go out to our Connect Point. We have a, a sheet that has all of, our, all of our teams, all of our serve teams. Get plugged in because then we, we, start, we do life together and we share, we encourage. Even as we serve, we're building each other up, and we're coming against the schemes of the devil who wants to keep us trampled down. Serving is a great way um, to come against those schemes, to stand firm in your salvation and to know without any doubt that you belong to, to him. I think second, too, when, when Satan does whisper into your ears, and maybe even when he yells into those ears and into your heart, again, as I mentioned, the, the best thing... That, to combat those lies is with truth. Jesus was tempted in the, by Satan. This was right at the beginning of his ministry. The, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and Satan tempted him. And do you remember how Jesus handled it? Those of you remember that story? How did Jesus respond? Would, Satan would kind of twist the truth a little bit and try to get, try to get Jesus to, to fall, to fail. Jesus would come back with Scripture every time, every time. The truth, he brought it back into his face. And like, get out of here. <laughs> get out. You know, when, when our enemy comes and he lies to you and says, oh, your sins are too many, come back with the truth. We sang about it. Though our sins are many, true, our sins are many. But his mercy, his grace is more. His grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how, how deep our sins are, how awful we think they are, how big they're stacked up. God's grace and his mercy are way more. Chew on that truth. Spit it back at Satan. <laughs> when lies come to you, and he says something like, you've, you've been away from me too long. You don't spend any time with me. You don't deserve God's love. 
Remind yourself of the truth. God is, is love, and his love is, is unconditional. It doesn't come with strings attached to it. He didn't, he didn't send it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world as soon as they got their act together? No. He loved us unconditionally and sent his son. And there is nothing. Scripture says there's nothing. This is true. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. Or when he comes at you with lies and says, well, you don't belong to God, for if you did, you would feel, you would feel joy. You would feel peace. You wouldn't be so miserable. You wouldn't feel so blah. You would, you would be excited about Jesus. Remind yourself of the truth that salvation isn't a feeling. It's a position. It isn't it isn't a feeling. It's what Christ has done in us. There's times, friends, I mean, honestly, there's times I wake up and I don't feel like a pastor. I mean, I'm serious. There's times I wake up, I don't feel like a husband. Now, the reality, I look over there, and I, who's out of my bed there? No, that's my wife. Oh, that's right, I'm a... And sometimes I don't feel like, I don't feel like a father. But God has, has called me and has placed me as a, as a pastor. He's given me that role. He's, he's brought me into a one flesh relationship with my wife. He's given me three kids. And in those days, in those moments, when I don't feel like I belong in those roles, I still am in those roles. They're, they're, they're his. That's, that, those are my position. And those times when I don't feel saved, I don't feel good, I, it's not about what I feel. It's about what he's done. It's about what he's done. I don't have to worry. My feelings go up and down all the time. You know what I'm saying? There are, I mean, there's days I feel good, and there's days I don't feel so good. And imagine if our salvation was based upon how I felt. Oh, I'm, I guess I'm saved today because I feel good. And then tomorrow, man, I'm not saved. Imagine that roller coaster. So when doubt comes, here's what I want to encourage you to do. When it knocks on your door, when doubt comes, I want you to consider a couple of things. First, sometimes doubt comes when there's sin in our lives. I think the times that I've like wondered about my salvation or wondered about my standing with God, it's been times when I'm, maybe I've got some, something that I'm doing in my life that's not honoring to Him. And so maybe the first thing is just to examine, I'm not saying that there's something there, you know, for sure, but I, I want to look in. I want to go before God and say, hey, God, examine my heart. Are, are there things that I'm doing that, that aren't pleasing to you? Are my... You know, is my heart pure? And, and ask him to reveal it. Because when, when we walk in sin, when we allow sin to crouch at our door and we take hold of it, um, guilt and doubt will, uh, will be the fruit of that. And so when you identify him, just confess it. And then realize again the truth that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Confess it and and know that God's forgiven it. 
and say, God, take away the guilt, take away the doubt. Run from sin and run to Christ. Run from sin, run to Christ. You know, I think another thing, sometimes doubt comes when we, when we don't see the, the kind of godly fruit in our lives. We, we, we start looking in our lives and we're like, man, I, don't, man, I just don't see it. I'm not doing this or that or, or the other. And maybe I wonder if I really am a Christian. But I think a lot of times when we get there, we, we're looking or we're, we have this in our mind or this is where, again, I think Satan comes and he, he spews those lies. Well, man, if you were really a Christian, you would be, you'd be reading your Bible every day. You would be praying an hour every day. I mean, you would be in the church every time it opened up. You would be doing devotions to your kids. And, and, and this list goes on and on and on. And you think, I can't. I, and you look at it and you go, I can't do it. I'm just, so I must not be saved. I am, I'm a wretch. But it's, again, didn't we just say that salvation is not about what we do? It's about what he's done. It's a gift of grace. And the rest of our lives are, that, are like that. It's, it's, we don't, we're not in a relationship with God out of duty. We're not, he doesn't say, all right, now that I've saved you, you must do this, this, and this, and this, and this in order to have a relationship with me. What we need to do is when we look and we say, ah, maybe I, maybe I am lacking. Maybe there's not the kind of fruit that I, that I desire and I want. Well, just I need, I need to pick myself, you know, just pick yourself up. God, give me the strength to, to do and to follow. I want to do this out of, out of love. I don't want to love my wife out of duty. Well, hey, honey, here's some flowers. Oh, I, thanks for thinking about me. Well, I really wasn't thinking about it. I had it on a checklist, and I needed to, because I'm your husband, I wanted to, it's something I had to do. So here you go. That's no good, right? I mean, she'd be like, mm, thanks. Trash can, boop. No, I do it because I, I desire. And so, because um, I, I have a relationship, and I, and I love my wife. And sometimes you're like, well, I don't even feel love for, for Christ right now. Well, just... Again, it's not based on feeling. If I, believe it or not, there's times my wife doesn't feel real lovely about me. I mean, it's just the truth because I'm a sinner, and she is too, right? And so we just, we just gut it out. And we just, sometimes we just do it because we know this is the right thing to do. So I'll open up. I remember being in the hospital this was back in Arkansas. I'd had that surgery, and I got an infection. I was in the hospital a long time. And I, some depression came in there, and it was just, I mean, I didn't even want to open my Bible up. I didn't even want to eat. And, you know, the doctor's like, I mean, you got to eat because the healing comes from nutrition. you got to eat. And I saw, I, you know, then eventually, you know, hey, you got to get out of this bed. you got to walk. I'd been in bed for weeks, and so all the muscles had kind of atrophied, like, and I'd get up and just walk to the door. I'm like, hey, I'm done. And you're like, man, you got to do more. you got to keep at this. And I would do it because I knew it was the right thing to do. And the doctor was like, hey, you got to do this. And then eventually I'm like, you know, I don't even feel like reading my Bible. That's awful to say as a pastor. And they're like, no, I, this, I need this. Just like I need the food to get up and get healed, I need the, the food of God's Word. And so I would just like, all right. All I got, I'm going to open up, and I'm going to read a psalm. That's it. That's all I got. And just, just some morsels at a time. And little by little, God nourished me. 
and, and, and began to heal some of that despair and hurt. Friends, it just takes, take a little step. Read a little bit. Pray a little bit. That's all it takes. And watch what God will do. He'll change some of those feelings. He'll shift that duty and make it into delight. You know, sometimes doubt comes when we're, we were saved at a very young age and our memory of being saved is, is kind of fuzzy. I see this a lot sometimes as I'm counseling folks and talking. It's like, man, I don't know. I, mean, I, I think I was young, but I don't, I don't know what I said. I don't know what I did. Again, salvation, it's not based upon whether or not we remember what God's done for us. It's based upon what God has done for us, not our memory of it. Do you believe that, that, that Jesus is God's son and that he did what he said he did, that he paid the price for us on the, pro, on the cross? Do you believe that if you give your life to him, he will make you new? Then, then turn from him and trust him and you're saved. You don't have to cling to some, something that happened way back when you were, when you were young. Don't let doubt of a distant memory keep you from from being in a joyous relationship with God so how do you know how do you know that you know that you know a couple things now we don't have to do these things perfectly but do you have a a greater love for Christ than a love for the world is your love for Christ greater than the love for the world do you have a, again, not perfectly, but do you have a sorrow for sin that leads to, to repentance? You know, when somebody comes, hey, man, how do I know that I'm saved? And I think, well, tell me about the last time. Think, oh, yeah, the other day I, I was kind of short with my kids. I felt awful. And so I went and I, I made it right to them. I was like, man, that is awesome. Because oftentimes when, when we're not saved, man, sin doesn't, it doesn't even bother us. Doesn't it? Our hearts are not even quickened. So the fact that you have some sorrow for sin is a great sign that you, you belong to him. Do you have a desire to live in obedience to Christ, to his word? I like what Paul uh, says. He's made the things that I, oh, that I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I know I should be doing, I don't do. Man, that, I, I get that. And, but, and Paul, he's just saying, hey, there's this battle going on. And when you have that battle, man, I want to do this. I'm just not able. I'm, I'm struggling there. And the, I know these things over here. I should be, but I'm, I, I, tend to, I tend to go over that direction. That guilt is actually a beautiful sign. It, it shows that you probably belong to him. He's alive in your life. That maybe if you don't have those things, maybe, maybe you do need to turn and trust in Christ anew for the first time. Friend, bottom line, keep on keeping on. Persevere in the faith. Endure. Link arms with others in the church. Read the word even when you don't feel like it. 1 John 5, 3, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, or the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. He writes these things. He gives us this book so that we might know, get in the Word, stay in the Word, 
even if just some morsels at a time. Here's another great question. Does Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 teach us that we can lose our salvation? So what is that Hebrews passage? Let me just give it to you real quickly here. For it's impossible in the case of those who had once been enlightened, who had tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, this is where context is king. There's a lot here. I don't have time to explain this whole passage. We could do a whole sermon on this. But uh, the author is writing. He's writing to the church in Rome. They're beginning to experience persecution and trials. Nero isn't quite on the scene yet, but they're, they're facing it. They're facing some struggles. And these are new young believers. Many of them had, had converted from Judaism. And they're in the church. They've tasted it. Like, hey, this is great. I like this. This is good. There's life here. But their persecution's happening. They're beginning to wonder, man, is this worth it? Can I, am I, can I endure? And, and the author is writing, saying, hey, hang in there. Endure. Stay faithful. And then he gives this warning. He's like, there are some. Man, they've come into the church. They attend church. They're doing the right things. They've tasted salvation. They've, they've seen miracles. They've, they've experienced the, uh, what it means to, to belong to Christ and they've fallen away. But here's the deal. They've just tasted it. They've not fully embraced the joy of salvation. They've not given their lives fully to him. They've only tasted it. There's an initial enthusiasm about Christianity. It's like the seeds that were, that were thrown on the, on the rocky soil. They, they sprout up, right? But then the sun comes and then they just wither. It's like that. They come into the church they're, they're seeing it, they're excited about it, but it never takes root. But those who have truly been saved or delivered through Christ, they cannot lose their salvation. It's impossible. Just as a person can't earn it, you can't do enough good things to earn it. Friends, we can't do enough bad things to disearn it because we didn't earn it in the first place. It's something that Jesus paid for. It's done Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And he doesn't throw an unless in that passage, unless they start sinning badly again. He says, they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I've got them. If they're truly saved, i got them, and I am not turning loose, and nobody's going to get them out of my hand. For those who have turned away from God, who no longer attend church or have any spiritual fruit in their lives, it may be, it may be that they don't know Christ. They may be like these folks in Hebrews. Maybe they even walked down an aisle during an invitation. Maybe they said, some kind of prayer. Maybe they were baptized. Maybe they're even currently on the church rolls. But none of these things save a person. It's no guarantee that that person is, is a follower of Christ. Christ. 
but those who truly know him, who've turned and trusted, you can be sure you have salvation. Let me close with this last question. If everybody, now if God wants everybody to go to heaven, then why doesn't he just bring us up now? I mean, that's where the end is, right? He's, we're going to be all in heaven. Why don't you just do this right now? Why wait? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count, count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, we already mentioned that, that not everybody is going to heaven, only those who've turned from sin and trusted in Christ. God leaves us on this earth with a mission, with a purpose. In fact, he, he, he calls it the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go, into the, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to go and share the message of good news, the message of salvation, so that others might come to receive the blessing of, of salvation. That's our mission. That's how we impact eternity. That's why he leaves us here and doesn't just bring us up. He's patient. And we have a community. We have people around us. You have friends. You have, you have family members that need to know Christ. And praise God, he is patient. And let's take the message of salvation and um, share it with others. Salvation is the most treasured gifts that we could have ever received. Through Christ, we are, we are delivered. We are rescued from the domain of spiritual darkness, and we are brought into the joy and the hope-filled light of a restored relationship with God. We've been saved. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved completely from the presence of sin. Salvation isn't just an, an initial life change or new beginning through Christ. Salvation is, is ongoing. It's not some decision you make. It's something that we make every day. The Bible says that we are to continually work out our salvation with, with fear, with awe, with reverence and, and trembling. We continually put off sin and we cling to Christ. And when we fail, we... we we don't let that failure to cause, cause us to doubt because we know who God is. He is faithful. He has saved us and saved us completely. The Bible says to the uttermost. And that's, a, that's way out there. <laughs> we get back up when we fail. We dust off and we keep moving forward in our faith as we trust in Jesus. And though we can't lose our salvation because it's been purchased by Jesus, we we draw encouragement from one another. We encourage one another. Lift each other up. We pray for one another. And we gather regularly under the teaching of truth. Our, and our salvation comes with responsibility. We're empowered to go and to share the message of salvation with others, both locally and globally, so that they too might come to saving Saving faith. Salvation. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Great questions. Hopefully, maybe you, you see it in a, 
in some new light. You have some answers. But we just don't want it to be knowledge, right? Let's put it into practice. Let's live it out. When the doubts come, let's share it with one another. Help one another. Let's, let's engage with one another. Let's serve. Let's, let's worship. Let's gather. Let's, let's, let's march our every day that we can until he leads us into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation through Christ. God, thank you that you, you have saved us completely, not based upon anything that we've done, but it's been accomplished through the work of Christ. And because it is final and sure, there's nothing that we can do. There's, we, can't, we can't undo what's been done perfectly. And God, that's no excuse just to live in mediocrity, to live just kind of going, going through the motions each day. So God, empower us, infuse us with the, with the joy, that abundant life that you speak of. You came that we might have life and have it abundantly. It doesn't mean that every day is full of joy and happiness and, and, and no pain. God, we still live in a world touched by sin. But, but God, because Christ lives in us, we have the power to to step up and, and keep moving step by step linked together as a church until the, until the bridegroom brings us home for that final marriage I thank you for this church thank you for everyone here and I pray God that we would be encouraged in our salvation God that it would draw us to worship more deeply God that we would God maybe even this week Run to your word. Even just those small morsels to be fed and to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus.